So last year, uh, early, on, early on in the pandemic, the documentary, The Last Dance, came out. Yes, and some of you are thinking, really, Nate, you're going to talk about The Last Dance again? Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, how many of you watched that documentary? How many watched The Last Dance? Okay, a good number. Anybody watch it twice? Anybody watch it twice? A couple of you. You're the true Chicago Bulls fans. Uh, the documentary is about the great Chicago Bulls teams of the 1990s. Um, almost everybody in the world knows who Michael Jordan is. Uh, he might be the most famous athlete of all time. But as I watched that documentary, I realized how great those teams actually were. That they had some of the best players of all time. I mean, you had Dennis Rodman, the best rebounder. You had Scottie Pippen, an uh, all-time great player. Uh, you had Tony Kukoc, uh, the best player from Europe at that time. Steve Kerr, one of the best pure shooters of all time. Phil Jackson, maybe the best coach of all time. Uh, and many other players contributed to their success. You know, Horace Grant and Ron Harper and B.J. Armstrong and the like. Uh, and uh, even the upper management, with all of its problems, they still were incredibly strategic in bringing all of these skill sets together at the same time. And as incredible as MJ was at the game, uh, he did not win those six championships by himself. Uh, th those teams were um, some of the all-time great teams ever assembled. And uh, we've been going through the book of Acts, and uh, when we think about the period of the early church, I think the apostle Paul kind of stands out like Michael Jordan. I mean, he's the most well-known apostle of all time. You know, we, we hardly spend time on the other guys and gals, it seems like. Uh, but in some ways, it's for good reason, uh, because the Apostle Paul, he was the church's greatest persecutor, and then Jesus radically transforms his life, and now he becomes the most well-known apostle of all time. And even Paul, when he was rattling off all of his qualifications in 2 Corinthians, he admits that I worked harder than them all. His whole life was focused for the sake of the kingdom. His letters dominate the New Testament. His narrative, his journey, his story takes up the largest part of the book of Acts, his whole life's focus, his pastoral work, his planting of churches, his theological writings, his ability to equip others to spread the gospel and teach, this puts him certainly in the church leader, leader hall of fame, and he's part of that great cloud of witnesses cheering us on. But just as the last dance introduced us or reminded us of all of those people surrounding Michael Jordan, I want to introduce to you today a bunch of the folks who surrounded the Apostle Paul. And that really this was not just one man's doing, but this was a team. And without a team, the mission of Jesus would have just been a pipe dream. Uh, it would not have worked. And so I invite you to turn this morning with me uh, to Acts chapter 18. Uh, that is the chapter we find ourselves in today. And as you're turning there, opening up your phone, that's good too. Uh, let me give you some context. Paul has now left Athens where we were last week. Uh, he was sharing the gospel at the Areopagus with the philosophers. Uh, and then he goes to Corinth after, uh, after that. Now, Corinth was an important uh, center for business. And as you traveled throughout Greece, you really had to pass through it. You couldn't get around it. Um, and it also had a reputation for being a very, very sinful city. Uh, it was known for its uh, debauchery, its drunkenness, its sexual immorality. Um, it's kind of like how people refer to Las Vegas as Sin City. Uh, that is kind of what Corinth was known for in their day. 
And actually later on when the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, this is after his visit here in Acts, but he's reflecting on his first visit and he said, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. Now why did Paul come with fear to the city? Well, perhaps he was already worn out from all of his traveling and ministry, and basically everywhere he went, him and his team faced severe opposition and persecution. And so he can probably only expect, as he's bringing the gospel of Jesus to Sin City, that he is going to face a ton of opposition to his message. And so he comes trembling to the city of Corinth. But thankfully, the Lord did not leave him alone. The Lord provided the Apostle Paul a team, and we are introduced to them right away. In verses 2 through 3, it says, There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy uh, with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Now, as I go through this sermon, really my main points are going to be just the various characters we are going to meet. Um, and I'm going to have seven different characters. Uh, uh, points here, and I'm going to jump around a little bit uh, in this chapter and also to some other scriptures so that you can get a fuller picture of who these people are. So it's not going to be fully chronological, but hang with me. So the first people I'm introducing you to are Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila. Aquila is Jewish, and uh, potentially Priscilla is as well, though that's uncertain. Uh, sometimes you'll see Priscilla referred to as Prisca, just another way of saying her name. And most of the time, uh, she's actually uh, listed before Aquila uh, in the Bible, uh, which was highly unusual at that time. Um, and most commentators think that perhaps she was either of some higher status in Roman society than her husband, or perhaps because of her teaching gifts, she was perhaps more prominent uh, in the church than Aquila was. But anyway, they were in Corinth uh, because the Roman emperor Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome which actually we know about from sources outside the Bible as well. And so it seems that Priscilla and Aquila, they were already followers of Jesus when they come to Corinth. And perhaps they were early leaders in that church in Rome that Paul, we see Paul writing to later, even though he had never visited there, there was a church there. And so Priscilla and Aquila, these were incredible team members that God provided. Uh, I want to look at a few ways that, that they contributed to the team. And first is they provided hospitality. Paul stayed with them during his time in Corinth. Um, even though they were refugees uh, in Corinth, they opened up their home to a traveling apostle that they had never met. Isn't that kind of crazy? Would you consider doing something like that? Uh, but Priscilla and Aquila, they were constantly opening their home for the sake of the gospel. And Paul ends up staying with them about a year and a half. Uh, and when Paul continues his journey, he takes them with him uh, and he leaves them at Ephesus for a while to help with their church there. They get a new home there, and they also open up that home to the church in Ephesus. And so now they're in a new city, opening up their home. And then later on in life, when Paul writes Romans, we find Priscilla and Aquila back in Rome. They move back. And when he writes his greetings in Romans 16, Paul says, give my greetings to Prisca and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life. Greet also the church that meets in their home. This is incredible. Three major city centers, Corinth, Ephesus, Rome. 
Priscilla and Aquila get homes and they open them up for the sake of the gospel. Just incredible hospitality. Wherever their home was, it was a base for mission. Wherever they lived, whether it was a place they were being refugees, they considered our home is open to anybody who might need it, to a traveling apostle that we have not met, to any group of followers of Jesus who need to meet there, our home is open. They practiced what the early church pre, uh, preached, which is that they considered nothing that was their own, but they shared everything they had. They also contributed economic provision. They were tent makers. Uh, this is a word that can also mean leather maker. Um, and what they probably did is that they made small tents uh, that people might use in the marketplace. If you think about a, a, an old school marketplace where the, a tent would be set up and you would be selling your goods in the marketplace, you'd have a tent over that for the sun. Maybe similar to this tent here and uh, where Adam and Alexander are sitting under. So they probably made tents like that for people to use uh, in the marketplace or at the beach. Um, and so they used their job to support Paul and also to provide him employment. Um, and that's one way that we can all contribute. We can contribute financially to others. Um, sometimes we can help people find jobs. Uh, that's how we can support each other in the body of Christ. Now, they also provided teaching ministry to the team. And we're going to need a, meet a guy named Apollos later in the chapter. Uh, this was an up-and-coming leader, teacher, and preacher in the church. Uh, but he was not aware of the baptism of the Spirit. And in Acts 18, verse 26, it says, When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home. There they go again. And they explained to him the way of God more adequately. So it seems that based on their own gifts and also their time that they spent working and living with the Apostle Paul, they have turned into theologians and teachers in their own right. And both Priscilla and Aquila, they teach Apollos the way more adequately. And finally, I want to note that they contributed to the team friendship and personal support. Now, this is not explicitly said here in Acts chapter 18, but I am certain it is absolutely true. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila were Paul's dear and close friends. They worked together. They lived together. They did the work of the church and mission together. And as you heard when Paul wrote Romans, he said, these people have risked their lives for me. And we're not told the exact story, but we can imagine that sometime when Paul faced all that opposition in, in Ephesus, that somehow they risked their lives uh, for Paul's sake. And it says in Proverbs 18:24, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And we all need friends like that in life. Even the great Apostle Paul, we all need support, encouragement. And without this friendship, I believe the Apostle Paul could not have done and lasted as long as he did. So let's get back to the story. Paul has stayed with Priscilla and Aquila. And in verse 4, it says, Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. And now we're going to meet two more team members. Verse 5, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. So the second person we uh, find here is Silas. I want to focus on Silas. You may see him in scripture referred to as Silvanus. Um, and actually, this is the last time we are going to see him appear in the book of Acts. 
He's only been around for a few chapters. We first encountered him in Acts 15. Uh, he appears in the Jerusalem Council, and he accompanies Paul and Barnabas back to the church in Antioch to deliver the news that the Gentiles are included as Gentiles and that they have to obey the four requirements that they must uh, keep for table fellowship. And so then Paul chooses Silas as a companion on his second missionary journey. And then remember, he's with Paul in prison in Acts 16. When that miracle happens, when the doors fling open, when they are delivered from prison, Saul, that's Silas who is with Paul. And so what Silas contributed, he contributed many things. He was a prophet. says he encouraged the church. He strengthened the church. Actually says he strengthened them with a long message. So I'm going to go for an hour today because the, the word of God says uh, you can be encouraged by a long message. Uh, just kidding. But he was also uh, an evangelist. Uh, he traveled with Paul on his journey. But in particular, I think Silas was a theologian and a letter writer. He is actually listed as a co-author of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, along with Paul and Timothy. And then at the end of 1st Peter, we have this interesting note where Peter says, in 1st Peter 5.12, With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. So later on in life, Silas ends up in Rome with both Peter and John Mark. And so he helped author, craft the sentence, sentences, think about what are we trying to communicate to the church. And under Peter's leadership, they wrote that letter together. And he did the same with First and Second Thessalonians. And actually Silas, for Peter, was probably the one actually putting pen to paper or quill to paper, whatever it was. Uh, he was doing that for Peter. And so... Silas's theological teaching, it's, pre it's present in at least three New Testament books. And now we're going to come to our third person, third team member, is Timothy. Now, we could say a lot about Timothy. Uh, we first meet him in Acts 16, when he was with Paul in Lystra. And Paul wanted to take him on uh, the missionary journey where they would be preaching to the Jews. And perhaps Timothy's first heroic act was to undergo circumcision so that he could preach to the Jews. I mean, we don't need to get into that, but that is uh, crazy and amazing. And he is called Paul's fellow co-worker, his brother, servant, beloved and faithful child in the Lord, Paul's son, and his co-equal in the Lord's work. And he also co-authored many of the New Testament letters, First and Second Thessalonians, Second Corinthians, Philippians, Philemon, and also Colossians. And Paul was perhaps Paul's most, or sorry, Timothy was perhaps Paul's most faithful and loyal colleague. And I kind of think this is like Paul's Scotty Pippen. This, this, this is his, this is the one-two punch, Paul and Timothy. Uh, and I think the greatest uh, thing that uh, Timothy contributed is that he was a fellow pastor and teacher. He was a pastor and a teacher. And Paul writes about him in Philippians. He says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely anxious for your welfare. Timothy's worth, you know, how as a son with the father, with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Someone who was so desperately, anxiously concerned for the well-being of the church. That was Timothy. And he brought this care to all the churches he served. And Paul appointed him to remain at Ephesus 
so that he could teach and pastor and protect the church, Paul says, from false doctrine, and that Timothy would teach and correct and rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Now, the fourth member of the team is a little bit hidden, and it's the church in Philippi. You don't see them actually referenced uh, in this passage, but they are there, I'll explain. In verse 5, it says, When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching and testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, why was Paul all of a sudden able to start devoting himself exclusively to preaching and teaching? Remember, he had just been working as a tent maker with Priscilla and Aquila. Well, Silas and Timothy had just come from Macedonia, which if you remember, Philippi is the leading city of Macedonia. And, it, and Paul writes in Philippians, Philippians 4, he says, As you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. So what seems to have happened here is that Tylus and Timothy, Timothy rejoined Paul and they bring a financial gift from the church in Philippi. And so he no longer had to work as a tent maker. He could now devote himself exclusively to preaching. And remember, if you were here with us a few weeks ago, that this early church is likely comprised of all those people we saw, saw get saved in Acts 16. Lydia, the businesswoman, the slave girl who was delivered, and the jailer who came to Christ. Those three and others who joined them are sending financial gifts to the Apostle Paul. And so how we support the Lord's work can have huge ramifications for the team. Paul was freed up to preach because the church in Philippi supported him. And that's our relationship. You all support me as your pastor. I am freed up to devote myself exclusively to the preaching and teaching, to the pastoring of this church. And by your giving, you free up the other staff members of our church. And by your giving, you free up missionaries that we support in all kinds of places. And by your giving, you free them up to devote their time, their energy, and their focus to the Lord's work so that they can use the gifts that God has given them and pursue the call that God has placed on their life. And so that is a huge, huge contribution to the kingdom team. The fifth person, or the fifth team member we encounter, is a man named Titius Justice. Sometimes he's just called Justice. And so after Paul was getting rejected and ridiculed uh, in the synagogue in Corinth, he finds a new home base at Justice's house. In verse 7, Paul leaves the synagogue and goes next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. And look at the result, friends. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Certainly this contribution made a difference. And I think this is, this is super bold. I mean that Justice's house was right next to the synagogue. I mean, this is like opening up a, a McDonald's right next to Burger King. It's like, you're, we're on. This, you know, this is, this, this, this is like Costco and Walmart or something like that. I mean, this, this is a competition in some right. So they were not afraid of the ramifications of opening up their home right next to the synagogue. And the result is that many came to know the Lord. And then another team member quickly emerges on the scene. Uh, and that is the man Apollos. 
verse 24, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. So what Apollos... Okay, that was loud. What Apollos contributed was a powerful teaching and speaking ministry. And he was also an apologist. Because in verse 28 it says, He vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. And uh, it seems that Apollos must have been quite the speaker, quite the teacher, uh, because uh, we learn later on that the people in Corinth who have come to Christ, they are beginning to divide over who they followed. Some of the people in the church were saying, well, I'm a follower of Apollos. Some were saying, I'm following Paul. Some were saying, I'm following Peter. Some were saying, I'm following Christ. And so later on, when Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians, he confronts this and he says, well, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed and each has the role God has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So Paul is saying, each one of us, Apollo, me, Peter, whoever else is contributing in these ways, we are all one. We are all on the same team and we all just have our role. And Apollos' role was that of a teacher, speaker, and apologist. And Apollos, it says, he's described as one uh, who was helping those who believed. He was helping the church. And I think a reason that Apollos was so helpful to the church and I don't, I don't want you to miss this. It's because he was described as a man who had a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. A thorough knowledge. And friends, you can be helpful to anybody if you would just work on and focus on increasing your knowledge of the scriptures. Paul wrote to Timothy, All scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Brothers and sisters, the more that you know the word of God, the more that you will be able to help the people of God. If you would fill your life, fill your day with the truth of God's word, that is going to pour out into your relationships. It's going to pour out into your marriage and into your families. It's going to pour out into where you work because out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouths speak. And if you want your, we want our minds to be shaped by the truth of God's inspired word. And so if you would pursue that, you would become more and more helpful to the people in your life. And our church hopes to do that. We hope to equip you with that. Um, I hope many of you were able to join uh, Zach for our, our Faith Covenant Seminary that we launched this morning. You're being equipping you with the Word of God. And we also do our daily Bible reading so that you would be saturated in the Word every day. And finally, the last team members we encounter are the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus. Acts 18, verse 27. 
When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. So the church in Philippi contributed money, and the church in Ephesus, they contribute encouragement. And don't discount, don't discount the value of encouragement. When people desire to serve the Lord, they need encouragement because it's not an easy task. And those who especially, some of you, have the gift of encouragement, and those who have that gift should be intentional about using it. But it's something we all can do. And so the church encourages Apollos, yes, we, we encourage you to go pursue ministry in Corinth. And then they also wrote uh, Apollos a letter of recommendation. And this is a way of affirming and validating Apollos', Apollos ministry. And it's kind of an early sign of kind of how we ordain pastors and teachers today. Because we want our churches to know that our pastors and teachers, they have been vetted and they are recommended for teaching ministry in our churches. And that's an important work for the church to do. And so the church of Ephesus, they recommend Apollos for ministry at Corinth. So, to sum up, the Apostle Paul did not work alone. It was not a one-man team. In fact, I've only given you a brief glimpse. In fact, if you were to go through the New Testament, depending on how you uh, counted people, you could find about 80 to 90 people who can be identified as co-workers of the Apostle Paul. 80 to 90! That's a big team, and that's not even counting all of the unnamed people that are not included, these unnamed people in these churches, encouraging and giving and teaching. And so we've highlighted just a few for you this morning. Priscilla and Aquila, Silas, Timothy, the church in Philippi, Titius Justus, Apollos, the church in Ephesus. Just like those Bulls teams, each one of these people, they understood their role. Yes, the Apostle Paul, he was, he was kind of like Michael Jordan. Admittedly, he probably was in some ways the key player of the early church, though he would never ever say such a thing or claim that for himself. But let's never forget that the early church in Acts was the, probably the greatest team of all time. They were a team. And whenever you hear people refer to the church or refer to the, even the Apostle Paul, I want you to immediately think of that great team, that great network of people that came together to spread the gospel. And it's because each one of them, they understood their role, they accepted their role, they used their gift, and everyone did it for the glory of God. And because of that, the church was built up, the gospel was spread. And friend, we are here today because of their teamwork. We are here today because they came together as a team for the sake of the gospel. What can these words mean for us? I. I'm, I'm an idealistic person, but I, I would love Faith Covenant to be the greatest team of all time. I want us to be the greatest team of all time. Because we can do so much more if we were to all work together and if everyone uses their gifts. In fact, that's one of our values and visions for our church is that every member, every person would be a minister. Finding their role, finding their gifts and using it for the church. We want each one of you, whether you're here right now on the lawn or whether you're listening to me back at home. We want each one of you to understand your gifts, to embrace and accept your God-given role, 
and to contribute to the team so that the church may be built up and the gospel may spread. We have, we have openings in almost every area, so we can certainly find a place to, uh, for you to use your gifts. And I want to remind you, there is also no age requirement and there is no age limit to using your gifts and finding your role. And you might say, I am only eight years old, what can I do? Well, ask your parents. In fact, we have Luke Broman who serves in our nursery. He contributes to the team, he's a team member. And you might say, well, I'm 80 years old, what can I do? You know, maybe it's time for me to let others, you know, do the work. And I would just say, friend, don't let that happen to you. Don't let Satan trick you into spiritual retirement. Do not let Satan trick you into spiritual retirement. We, uh, we need all of you to keep passing on your faith to the next generation in whatever way that you can and to embrace the short time that you do have left and use that for the glory of God. We need you. And remember what Paul wrote to Timothy? Fan into flame. Fan into flame the gift of God, the gift that you have been given. And that's a reminder to all of us to not let our gift and our role go dormant. Because God has given us gifts. And we must fan them into flame by regular and constant use and by a desire, and listen to this friends, by, by a desire to provide spiritual warmth to all those around us. That's what it's about. Bringing people the warmth and love of God through our gifts. So I say to you what Paul said to Timothy, fan into flame. Don't just have a little a wimpy fan. Let's fan it huge into flame. Let's get the fire roaring. And I want you to imagine if your gifts, if your role was like a fire, how would it be right now? Maybe it's blazing hot. Wonderful. Maybe it's a good campfire. Maybe it's smoldering coals in danger of going out. Wherever you are, fan into flame. Fan into flame the gift of God. Use it to build up Christ's body. Don't let your fire go out. We need all of you to keep up your fire for the Lord and to have a desire to serve the Lord inside and outside these walls. And the Lord does have a role for you on the team. And when we all do this, friends, I truly believe we will see revival. We will see people come to know Christ. We will see God do amazing things beyond our imagination when we all work together for his glory.